for my life. All right, we're continuing on in our series on dynamics of destiny relationships. We just want to give a shout out to those that are connected with us either on Facebook Live or on YouTube. Please like, share, help us spread the word about all of the things that uh, God is sharing with you here. We've been talking about in this series on dynamics of destiny relationships. We've did a volume where we just talked about how you relate to God, how you relate to yourself, how you relate to your neighbor. Then we spent some significant time this, this year talking about the dynamics of relationships in terms of husbands and wives and how important those are. And we've bridged from that. And just recently we've been in our in this volume of the series, dealing with the dynamics of relationships between parents and children and how critical and how important those are. God really has a lot to say about the relationship of parents to children because he's the ultimate parent and we are all his children. Yeah. And so... Um, there are some things inside of him that we want to make sure we understand about those relationships because um, God has vested us with part of his responsibility to make sure that there is a seed that serves him in every generation. And so we want to make sure that we are doing our part and that we're in faith such that um, when we leave the scene, when it's our turn to, uh, as the old saints would say, study war no more, when it's our time to pass off, there's still a generation that's going on in the things of God. You know, I'm, I'm always studying, um, you know, the patriarchs and matriarchs that did things and um, that ensured that their works lived beyond them right? Abraham did certain things and how he trained his children that God said, I can bring the promise to pass in his life. And so this thing about, about uh, you know, doing, um, doing family from a destiny perspective is very, 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 very important. And um, it's important to God because you are ensuring you're doing your part we want to make sure that we win a generation and all of that. And I want you to be all evangelistic and reach out to the world. But I also want you to train up a child and so that we can say, like the apostle Paul told Timothy, from a child, you have known the Holy Scriptures. The faith that was in your grandmother, that real unfeigned faith, that means it's not fake, it's the real McCoy, that was in your grandmother and in your mother, I'm persuaded that same faith that they have is in you. Well, that means he's not a one-day wonder. He didn't get that faith on his own. The Apostle Paul said it started with Granny. And so we want to make sure as we think through destiny relationships that, that we are relating to our children in a, in a way that brings them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. All right, so we've given you these four objectives for the series Number one, to illuminate the basic power of relationships, especially relationships that are developed for the purpose of glorifying God. And we said um, in our previous time on this one, when it comes to children, sometimes we haven't, um, you know, uh, 
we was just having fun and then the child happened. It wasn't always that we thought about, we're going to raise up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But the intention from God's perspective is always that you're going to be God honoring in that relationship. Two, to elaborate on the love connection as the key to empowering relationships, the principles upon which relations consist and by which they are maintained and enhanced. And our statement that we've made in this volume of this series is that this relationship has to be dynamic, has to be dynamic in the sense that it has to grow and adjust because if you stay static in that relationship, you can do something out of time that was good at one point in time that then becomes detrimental at a later point in time. What's good mothering when they're, when they're infants can become smothering when they're adults. All right? So maintaining and enhancing. Number three, to differentiate between the various types of spiritual, natural, and social relationships and their purpose for being from God's perspective. And this parenting relationship is spiritual and it's natural and it's social. It's a spiritual thing because God intends you to raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because God is intending the children obey parents when they're in that child frame and then as they mature into adults that they still honor. So it's a spiritual, it's a natural relationship, right? Because the Bible talks about us, um, we had fathers according to our flesh. That's natural. And then it's social because um, long past the time that I get to dictate, I still want to relate, right? There comes a point where I will no longer be able to, you know, give the thou shalt do this to my daughter. I'm, we, we're already working on that thing, but I just tell them, listen, long as I'm, you know, my name on that stuff down at the college, you still going to answer me and tell me. <laughs> okay. But, but we're in that transition period, right? I'm, I'm having to learn to let go. And it is a learning. I am learning, right? Okay. And so, but we want to understand that even after I can no longer dictate, I still need to relate, right? And then finally, number four, to motivate you to be more intentional in your relational roles at every level for relational success, all right? So our scriptures for this one, Ephesians 5, 31, down to chapter 6, verse 4. Of course, we read some of this. We're just a few weeks out of Father's Day, so we talked some about this in, in the context of our Father's Day message as well. And it says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ in the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. That it may go long and strong for you. Verse 4, and you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Then we also read Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 20 and 21. And it says, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And just for the sake of review, I had eight quick points um, from this these two passages of scripture, 
primarily the Ephesians um, passage of scripture. Number one, one of the outcomes from a godly union of a husband and wife is godly children. Well, that's not kind of how it happened. Oh, I know, I know. I mean, but that was, I just, we start out with the ideal and then we adjust from there. So God's intention is that, that, um, um, that a, a, a man who has left his father and mother, a man, somebody that's fully formed, fully matured, has left a fully matured household, father and mother, right? And then cleave to a wife, and then from that has come a godly seed, all right? Number two, that means that a husband must assume the role of the father and the wife assume the role of the mother. These roles are related but not identical. Some people are good at just being twosomes, and then you got to, I mean, there's a whole nother thing that comes in when the parenting kicks in. Amen? Then number three, because the husband is the head of the wife, he's also the head of the home and given the primary responsibility to ensure that, that the children are matured and not damaged. Because in this passage of scripture, there was, um, there was words there that describes uh, a, a, an adult male a wife, a husband, a father, mother, parents, right? And, and, and then each one of those words is unique. But then it skips all of that and says, you fathers, make sure you bring them children up, right? So a lot of times fathers have, have um, unwittingly abdicated their responsibilities for the children's maturity and said, the mom's got to make sure they all spiritual and stuff. But the Bible is very clear. The apostle Paul is very clear. You fathers, this, right? That you're the ones that's responsible to ensure that there's maturity and that you don't be so heavy handed because dads can sometimes be a little heavy handed go too far, can be too provoking. Make sure you don't damage their spirit. Make sure you don't crush them, right? Number four, God expects that parents bring children to the point of spiritual and natural maturity so that they can continue the cycle for further kingdom expansion, right? A man should be ready to leave his father and mother. That means his parents have done their job and brought them to the point of maturity, all right? Number five, while it is true that both males and females should be brought to, the, to maturity, the Bible specifically calls out the need for men to mature. Why didn't, you know, I believe that the Bible is intentional, not just in what it says, but what it didn't say. Right. I believe the scripture says that, you know, not one jot or tittle of the word of God will pass away. Anybody know I'm in the book? So why in all of these passages of scripture does it seem to really focus on a man leaving his father and mother? All right. Some <laughs> I think some women should, should should demand a recall. You know what a recall is? You know, I'm in the automotive industry. I'm in the automotive industry, and, um, you know, sometimes we didn't get it all right the first time, so we bring the car back and recall. It, it needs some more work. 
Sometimes if I was really, if I was really being truthful when I'm in marriage counseling, I need to call some parents and say, that needs to be a recall. <laughs> he wasn't ready for prime time when he got out there and said, I do. The Bible says that a man has to deal with some maturity issues. That's why we spend as much time as we do in our men of destiny prayer. Now, listen, I'm I, I'm not I say certain things and I, I can in that form because it's our brothers. I can be a little harsher and not have them feel some kind of way. Now, why am I doing that? Because I want to make sure that the men are prepared for their 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 their, their husbandly, fatherly, manly responsibilities. Or as the Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I thought, spake and understood as a child. But when I became a man, I put my boy toys away. Yeah, got to put them boy toys away. Listen, you got a whole family, you want a Corvette and you need a minivan. Stop that. <laughs> Stop that. You understand? See, some people aren't ready for their responsibility, right? And so we got to deal with that. Number six, in the, in the child state with godly parents, the focus is on obedience to instruction. Seven, there's a point of adulthood in children where obedience is no longer the primary objective. You shouldn't be asking. If your, if your adult children aren't doing everything you say, they ain't, they ain't necessarily in sin. Okay? Right, you got to let you got to let you got to let them come on up, you know, and, and you need to start letting go while you still have some chance to influence so that you don't destroy the relationship that needs to continue for destiny so that you can have input and influence on the grandchildren and the children after that. Somebody say amen. amen. Right? Um, this is even to the point of leaving and cleaving, leaving the parents and cleaving to a spouse. But uh, final point on this one, number eight is, but even when this point is reached, there is a life lifelong expectation of honor that produces a life that is long and strong. You know, one of the challenges that we have in our generation is, I guess there's been these kind of hyper grace teachers, but there's people that'll say, well, anything that's written in the Old Testament is like not of God today. Have you ever heard some teaching like that? Like, you know, some people, I mean, I mean, they didn't got so bold. They they even said, I mean, that you don't even have to read the words of Jesus. I'm like, man, that's all. That you see how crazy that that look you gave me. That's how that's how I look at some of them folks when they say silly stuff like that. But um, interestingly enough, the Apostle Paul would grab specific texts out of the Old Testament and bring them right there in the New Testament. This is a commandment. We don't have to keep the commandments because Jesus doesn't say. Then why did he bring this one from the commandments just like it is written into the New Testament? And then he said, this commandment, not a suggestion, has some promises associated with it so that you can live long and strong. All right. So eight perspectives of the parent-child relationship. And so when we think about these um, there's this list here that of, of, of where, where am I in this relationship? I, I kind of think of this like when I go to the mall and see no sign at the mall. There's all these stores, but then it says, but you right here. Okay. And so there are eight kind of eight perspectives that we want to have. And then as we assess our relationships, we want to understand where we are um, where we are in the mall. Somebody say amen. 
All right. So first is children in the eternal plan of God. This deals with the fact that even before you done got pregnant, God already has your seed already inside himself. He's already planned, thought about them in eternity past. The second one is children in the womb. This is the one that we'll get to today, children in the womb. We talked about children in the plan of God because we talked about, you know, God's discussion with Jerry, Jeremiah chapter one. Hey, Jerry, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So that tells us that we exist in the mind of God long before we exist in the womb of our mother, right? But then there was, we all exist in the mind of God, but then there comes a time when God takes that concept and goes to production. And so we'll deal with the fact that biblically speaking, life begins in the womb. That's a controversial thought today. Because people say, as long as I kill you before you come out, I'm all right. There is a whole stream of thought like that. Then third is babes and sucklings. Babes and sucklings deal with the youngest of young children. And we're prepared to talk about that. I may get that far today, but those two is what I want to talk about. Um, then there's young children, where we talk about providing, guiding, directing, and correcting, transitioning children to adulthood. And there's a whole set of scriptures that deal with this in the book of Proverbs, this transition phase. Then one, one minute in Proverbs, you'll read them talking about children, and then it'll say a son. And it's talking about that transition. A son left to himself shall cause you shame. It's talking about you starting to look at them and say, okay, how, how, how well have they matured to the point, you know, where I can start to see different things in their lives that, that have to be dealt with so that they're prepared for prime time. Um, six, shifting towards marriage and multiplying, multiply family. Remember Moses, it says, when Moses, when he came of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So that we want to think through Hey, man, where are they? Because sometimes they get to that point and they're not fully prepared to go to the next step. And so you need to start that stuff early, right? And we have to make assessments. Then we talked about elderly and ailing parents of adult children. Sometimes um, the roles begin to shift, right? There are uh, children that have parents that have Alzheimer's. The roles shift. Right now, bless God, I'm not planning on going there, but I want to be prepared if I have to. You, you follow? Right. We all got to life happens. Life happens. Ready or not, here life comes. And so we just want to make sure we have in our in our toolkit. If that store in the mall is the one you got to go into, I want you to know what to do. Right. And then finally. Uh, number eight is planning and preparing for children beyond your lifetime. You know what? I'm, I'm working to make a mark in my generation, thinking about my grandchildren. Hopefully, I intend to be here to see them, maybe my great-grandchildren in Jesus' name. But I also am thinking about how am I leaving legacy for the time when I'm no longer here. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord. 
They rest from their labors, but their works do follow them in Jesus' name. All right. So going to, to, my, to my next uh, list there, Minister John, put that on the screen. Okay, so five key thoughts from in the womb. Number one, life begins at conception and even before. We've talked about the before piece, but now I'm going to talk about the conception forward. Because we recognize that God has dealt with us in eternity past, and um, he fell in love with the thought that he had about you and then decided, I'm going to take that thought into production. Okay? Number two, at the moment that the seed and the egg come together, God deposits the human spirit inside, and this causes the first pulse of the heartbeat. You see, our statement is that um, your body isn't alive until God puts a spirit in it. And when your spirit leaves, even if they use a blood pump to keep you on, that body's never getting up. Why? Ain't nobody home. Okay? And so we understand that, um, that God does things and he's the one that is inside the womb. He is the master creator, yeah. right? That's a God thing. Next point there is God saw, saw us in the womb. He saw and began to prayer, prepare for that. He, was, he is active in, in that. And um, we just want, Pastor David, why are you spending time on these points like this? This is only, you know, at most a nine to 10 month window, because this is very, very important to God. We want to have um, a proper reverence and respect for life. In our culture, that reverence and respect for life is in the process of being lost. It's not completely gone, but it ain't completely there either. Amen? So we want to know where God is. Number four, there, there is power in prayer for your children. And we're going to talk about, A, that there were people who prayed when they couldn't conceive, and their prayer was part of the conception process, right? We talked some on Father's Day about, you know, we used to mothers praying, but Abraham prayed. And Abraham's prayer was the trigger for Isaac being born. He also prayed for Ishmael. We talked about a father's intercession. And God said, I have heard your prayer. I'm going to bless Ishmael because you prayed. Because he's your seed, I'm going to bless him. All right? Today I'm going to talk about the prayer, um, the prayer of Isaac. Isaac prayed. Right? The prayer of Rebecca. God began to talk to her while she was pregnant about her two, the two children in her womb. Okay? So we want to make sure we understand, hey, you know, this is an important window. You should be praying, laying hands, you know, prophesying. <laughs> you should be doing all of those things to speak destiny of a child that's in your womb. Amen? And then finally, number five, the devil sees you in the womb as well. God is trying to get destiny. Satan is trying to kill destiny at the same time. 
So we just want to be sensitive to both of those dynamics in there. Okay, God saw us in the womb. Psalm 139, we're going to read verses 13 through 17. Psalm 139. Hallelujah. And it says, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very, very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book, they were all written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. God is, he's masterfully involved in, the, in that life, in that conception life process. All right? This scripture really, um, you know, being, being an engineer by my technical training, we spent a lot of time understanding how principles and things go together. Now, somebody, for, for people to see the, the genetic engineering that it takes for your physical body to function and to think that that all came through evolution has to be the most ludicrous, the most idiotic thing to ever be. There is more genetic information in your body, in your hair follicle. Humanity is the most dense, just the information that it would take to reproduce your life is so intricate and involved. Only a God could do it. Right? So we want to be clear. We, we have a culture where we respect and reverence. We, we, we have awe of life. God did this. Pastor David, why is this so important? Because that's why, now, I don't know if, if, I'm, if I'm completely aligned with everybody in the movement, but I believe black lives matter, just so we clear. Okay, now I know that they, the people that, that have waved that banner have some things in what they say that I'm not with. But what I want people to understand is, listen, listen, we need to stand for life. The church community, the church community, the people who honor God should honor life because the devil don't give life. God's nature is life. Jesus says Satan was a murderer from the beginning. So we are the people who must reverence life, right? And, we, and I don't wait for you to get outside of the womb for me to start that reverence process because this scripture tells me that God was right there in the womb. He, it matters to him. All right? Um, the power of prophetic declaration, the power of prayer for your children. Let's look at Genesis 25, 21 through 23. Genesis 25. We talked about Abraham. I just want you to see that there was more than one man that prayed for his children. 
Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, brothers. Praise the Lord, brothers. Hallelujah. Genesis 25, 21 says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Her conception was due to his intercession. Isn't that what that just said? The Lord heard him and did something for her. All right? Now, verse uh, 22, But the children struggled together within her, and she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Okay, she didn't even have no ultrasound. She didn't. <laughs> Something's happening up on up in here. I, I feel it. Let's get ready to rumble. Remember the WWW, right? W wrestling, right? She said, Something, something's happening here. Um, verse 23, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall, shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. All right? So we should be praying both if you believe in God to get to have children and it's not happening, let's intercede. That's one of the things we get out of that, right? Let's go to the giver of life and start talking to him in Jesus' name. But when we're dealing with children in the womb, we should be praying because God will begin, he will be downloading. There's things he had already planned in eternity past that he starts to download to you, all right, in this season. Somebody say amen, all right? Uh, the devil sees inside of the womb too. Let's look at Exodus 1, 16 through 21. Exodus 1, 16 to 21. And he said, and this is Pharaoh, when you do the duties of a midwife for the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. This is the first um, known instance of what today we would call partial birth abortion. You keep pulling the child out. Don't get them all the way out. But you get them halfway out to where we know the sex, then you kill them if it's a boy. And it was legal then and it's legal now. Didn't make it right. Okay. The devil's still trying to kill destiny in the womb. All right. Um, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but saved the male children alive. Ah, so they obeyed God and not the laws of the land. Isn't that what that just said? I mean, you know, our, our, uh, our attorney general, a United Methodist man, says, hey, he quoted the Bible. He said, y'all should obey the laws just because they laws. Anybody know I'm telling the truth? I didn't make that up. I'm not putting words in his mouth. Those are his words. His United Methodist Church, they called him out in their own doctrine and said, listen, man. <laughs> they said, we about to excommunicate you from your own church. They did. Go back. <laughs> I had to give it to them. I'm like, they was like, listen. Okay. I just want us to understand that Satan has been trying 
Um, according to the statistics, since Roe v. Wade was instituted in this country, um, some, some 30 million, I think is the number that I've heard, children have been aborted in our nation. And it was a genocide plan by the founder Planned Parenthood to place these kind of clinics in communities of color. I'm not upset. The demographics are changing in our society such that um, people of the Caucasian persuasion will no longer be the majority. You do know that, right? You know, that's one of the impetuses behind the Make America Great Again. You didn't know that, right? Just like it was an impetus here because the minority was so bearing so many children that they were going to become a majority that the king of Egypt said, we're going to make Egypt great again and start. Go back and read it. Go back to Exodus chapter one. Go back and read it. We're going to make it great again. And we're going to do it by taking out these minority people until unless so that they won't become a majority. That's exactly what he was saying. Go back and read it. You know, you know, the devil don't have no new play, no new plays in this playbook. Right? Okay? And um, we, won't be the, we won't be the majority, according to the, if the demographic trends continue, it'll be Hispanic. And I'm not mad at Hispanic people, but the only reason that's true is because we've had these abortuaries in our communities killing off our seed. Yeah. The mathematics of abortion is one, one abortion equals one dead plus one wounded. All right, y'all just do that math. Okay, I'm on, what verse was I on? Go ahead, put it up. Right, they fear God. They kept the male children alive. Verse 19, and the midwife said to Pharaoh, because the Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore, God dwelt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew mightily. And so it was because the midwives feared God that he provided households for them. Uh-oh. So God got involved in the midwives' houses because they took a stand. Their seed, God honored. All right. So I want us to make sure that... Um, However children get here, you know, because sometimes we, we, we're more concerned about our reputation than the child. That's right. If they didn't come the way we was intending, you know, now, listen, 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 right? Uh, I've told my child certain things, but if things change, child, please, I'm going to take the grandchild and I'm going to be, thank you, Jesus, and I'm going to do everything I can. Okay, now, right? You understand what I'm saying? I'm not, no, 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 no. We're not going to change this. The, the doctrine not going to change because my situation make me, make me not everything what I wanted it to be. You understand what I'm saying? Because there are some Christians who have done that. I'm just saying, I got to say it. I'm going to say it with my mouth. I'm going to say it in church because there are some people. Uh, it, and then they, 
they come up with a whole new theology to protect their reputation as if their reputation is all that important. Okay? So we're going to be people who really believe the word. If we go, we, you can't, I can't achieve my destiny by aborting my child's destiny. Okay? So we want to be very, very clear on that and take, take a stand because we know when life comes. Children are the heritage of the, world, of the Lord. Psalm 127 and 3. <clears throat> and it says, Behold, children are the heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Okay? So we, this is God's stuff. God's, this is God's inheritance. This, this is the reason why we bring children just like Jesus was brought into the temple and dedicated them to the Lord because we believe that God is the author of life. We believe that God is the author of life. Pastor David, why you got to teach this? There, there are child parents who are so angry with their children that they are killing them. Some of them, it's just a maturity issue. They're, they're immature, right? They're babies having babies, but then they don't take on that responsibility. And so we got to say this stuff. And we got to help them, right? We're going to have to start reaching out a little further. I know, I know you did it all right. And then you got to absorb and, you know, grand, grandparents are taking care of grandchildren. I know all, all of these things happen. But, but life is that important to God, so it must be that important to us. Amen? Okay, so um, that's, that's what we want to make sure we have that clear about in the womb. Now let's talk about babes and sucklings. Luke 2, 21 through 39. It's going to be our first scripture. That early phase of childhood is also very important to God. Has to be very important to you. There is a time frame where you have to be very intentional in those earliest moments to ensure that we protect the child's destiny. Why? Because from the devil's perspective, it's much, it's much easier to crush an acorn than it is to cut down an oak tree. So he is always intent on stealing early life. The picture of that you see prophetically um, in... In the, in the book of uh, Revelation, chapter 12, and it talks about this woman, and it says, you know, she had this clothing and so on, and it says she was about to give birth, and the dragon was standing there to swallow up the seed. Anybody know I'm in the book? Okay. So we want to be clear that we have to be very intentional about how we see to our very our, our youngest of children. 
Now, this, this scripture here talks about Jesus. Luke 2, 21, I'm going to read down to verse 39. A lot of scripture, but I want you to see it all. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Hey, that, that there is a key point. His name, they didn't, <laughs> they didn't go Joe Jr., God had a name for him before even going into the womb. That's what that said, isn't it? Okay. We have to be clear. Some of the, there are, there are amongst all children, like everybody has a plan and a destiny, but some is so specific that God begins to send you a lot of orders from headquarters before they get here. All right. Just be sensitive to that. Now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of total doves or two pigeons. And behold, there was a man of Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now, let, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation and you have, which you have prepared before the face of of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and Mary marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary's mother, Behold, this child is destined, destiny, for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with her husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about, of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayer, prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke to him spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all these things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. All right? So a couple of things we want, we get out of this passage of scripture. One is recognize the purpose of the parent in securing the destiny of the child. All right? Now this is the Christ child. But the Christ child must fulfill all of the requirements of the law. He must fulfill all of the requirements of the law flawlessly, without fail, or the whole plan of God explodes. If he doesn't, if he if he is without, if, if, if there's any violation of God's law, the whole plan of God falls apart, right? He that knew no sin became sin with my sin, but he couldn't have no sin of his own, right? 
And so his parents had to take him on the eighth day to church. Couldn't be late. Couldn't sleep in that Sunday. Couldn't get another idea. Couldn't take vacation, right? If they hadn't done the thing that the law required, he could have been excommunicated and he had nothing to do with it. He wasn't going to get up and circumcise himself. He wasn't going to get up and bring him own self to church at eight days old. And so they had to entrust God, entrusted the destiny of the Christ child to these human parents. They weren't superhuman. They were human, just like you and me. Okay? And so what we want to be clear on is when God gives you that child, I know you like the little pictures and you like the little, you know, now we want them in Nikes. I mean, like, does, I, why, why? We don't know. I mean, we, we got them in all these name brand stuff, but bring the child to church. <laughs> all, right, all right, let's, let's, let's do something that really matters. Okay. <laughs> I know you get one or two good pictures and they're going to grow out of those clothes in two or three days. Let's do something that has eternal value. Okay. Also, there's power in destiny naming. All right. Before you decide, <laughs> I was going to say Laquita Nim. Okay. <laughs> that might be somebody's name. I don't want nobody to be offended. I'm just. Before you decide to come up with some something that sounds cute, might you ask God if he got a name for that child he given you? Might you ask him? <laughs> uh, hey, hey, media team, um, pull up first, first Samuel 23, 23. I'm trying to do this one off, off script, off my notes. Um, names matter. Uh, that's not it. Uh, uh, that's not it. First. Um, First Samuel, go back to 21, 21. It's like 21, 21, 22, or 20. First, go to, go to verse chapter 21. Verse 21. That's not there. Uh, there's a scripture. Do a search on the name Nabal, N-A-B-A-L. N-A-B-A-L. And tell me what scripture that is. I want to. Do you see it? Huh? It's a lot of scripture for Nabal, N-A-B-A-L. In 1 Samuel, in the 20s. 20, go, go to, what's the first one? Um, go to 25, 25. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel, Nabal, 
This is his wife talking about him. This is his wife, Abigail, speaking to David. For as his name is, so is he. As his name is, Nabal is his name. Nabal means fool. Nabal means fool. His parents named him fool. <laughs> Nabal is his name. And folly is with him. That's enough. As his name is, so is he. Be careful what you name your children. Names have a lot to do with prophetic destinies. Now, people give names and they don't even, don't even understand what the name means. It just sounded good to them. Or they watch the movie, my son, I'm going to name him T'Challa. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, we all trendy and stuff. Listen, this stuff has this stuff has real significance. Okay, so the Bible was very, it spent a lot of time talking about names and how important they were and what the names meant and God changing names. And okay, so I'm you know. Now, am I telling you every name's got to be this, you know, super Holy Ghosty? I'm not saying that. But you should at least pause. You should at least do a word search. Make sure you're not saying something in some language. Because you may not have a dictionary, but the devil do. You may not know the history, but the devil does. All right. So this is really important. Jesus was named, a na God gave him that name, and it was very important. Now the parents had to listen. The parents had to listen. All right, so I'm, I'm, I'm just encouraging you to be sensitive to, to God giving you names for your children. Now, uh, the interesting thing is, honor your father and mother. The father and the mother each had a different revelation of Jesus. They had a different revelation. Both of them got an instruction. You shall name his name Jesus, but their insight into his destiny was different. Mary saw his authority. He shall sit on the throne of his father, David. Joseph, his redemptive capability, and he shall save his people from their sins. All right. So parents, let God talk to both of you about the children that he's giving you. Amen? We also must recognize, this passage of scripture also tells us to recognize the role of the elder generation to birth the next move of God through prophetic intercession and declaration. Simeon and Anna prayed in God to do something that would be fulfilled in future generations. Um, you know, just recently, one of our church mothers, Mother Mary Cummings, went home to be with the Lord. And I have in my office uh, a faith prop that she gave me some years back about the Lord asked her how she saw this church. And 
Um, he told her to draw it. And so she took and cut out, clipped out pictures and it had a bunch of different faces and stuff. I'm hanging on to that thing. I'm, I'm, I'm hanging on to that thing because I understand that there is a role that God gives an elder generation to birth things spiritually in future generations. I'm careful who I, who I let touch you. You should be careful, but you need some of these elders to do the Acts 2, right? Acts 2, 17, young men see, shall see visions, old men dream dreams. Some of them are dreaming dreams about something that'll happen in the future. You need that input. Now you need some real elders, not just people that's older. Yeah, you need some, you need some real elders, right? Um, Anna would today be called a church mother. Church mother don't just mean you're a mama. It means that there's something about your prayer life and the way that you carry yourself. There's something about your intercessory life with God that you can impart something to future generations. You can see and pray through. Anna was known for prayers and fastings in the temple. All right? Then... You know, we at least have a term for the ladies. We don't even have a term for what Simeon was. We talk about church mothers, and church mothers don't mean that they have a authority in the church. We don't have a term for church fathers, do we? No. We don't even think like they can be guys like Simeon. He wasn't, he wasn't a priest. He wasn't a prophet. He was just, the scripture says he was a devout man, an old spiritual dude full of the Holy Ghost. That was his only credentials. And he was an old man who prayed. Woo! Now that's a concept, isn't it? He, he, and, and that's all it was. It wasn't like he didn't have any title, didn't have any role. It didn't say he was a church elder. Didn't say none of that. So, so we want, we need this generation and we need the elder men, but we also need some elder women now. We don't have that as much. We used to whack Estella getting her groove back. <laughs> all, the, all the women would go out, hang out like the young women do. Okay, I'm, all right, you can say what you want to. <laughs> but, but listen, listen, we need in, in, in a destiny generation church, we need elders that are really praying through. We need seasoned saints that can birth the move of God through their prayer and intercession. We need seasoned intercessors. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm asking God to give me my, give me a dynamic youth ministry. I need to, I can't, I can't deliver on the name Destiny Generation Church, generation, if I don't have a way to bring those generations through. All right, now I got to start what I got, where I am. I got to start with what I have and get, give it all I got. But I'm telling God, 
we, we are not yet fully what you've destined us to be if you give me the name Destiny Generation and you don't give me the, the ability and the team to bring the generations through. And this scripture says that part of, the, part of that ministry is not just babysitting while the adults have real church. Okay? Because this was not babysitting while, you know, because they can't tithe yet. I'm just, I'm just saying, people make decisions about church based on what's going to bring the most money in. Okay? And so we need, part of this is to have people, seasoned saints, I done got my children grown. Now, no, 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 you ain't done yet, baby. I might need you to pray for some of these young. I, I, I might need you laying your hands and praying and believing God. I, I'm, I'm really believing God to have a ministry raise up out of this church that can go into the hospitals and lay hands on crack babies. And God deal with them. We, we, listen, to do church in Flint, we got to have some power, y'all. We can't be playing this thing. The, the, the Surgeon General came to our city and said, everybody who's drunk this lead-infested water from six-year-old and under, even nursing mothers, their children will have permanent developmental difficulties. Six years old and under. I heard him. I was there. I was at Mark Carmel when he said it. We need, we have to have supernatural ministry, y'all. We have to, to if God has sent us here to, to raise up this kind of church, we can't just play church. We have to have a church where we lay hands on the sick and they recover. And if you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. We have to have that. So, so I just want you, I'm just telling you what I'm believing for, and I need you to be believing with me, right? I'm telling you what I'm praying for because I need you to be praying for this with me, right? And if you're here and you're a member of the church and God is moving on you, come talk to your pastor in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, because your pastor may come talk to you even if, if you can't hear his voice, I might have to hear for you in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right, Matthew chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 11 through 18. Going to shift a little bit here. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11 through 18. And it says, and when um, it talks, this is talking about when the, um, when the wise men, no, it wasn't three wise men. It was three gifts. It wasn't three wise men. It was not three wise men. Okay. Um, it was three gifts. They came with an army. Them dudes was packing. They, they came, they brought the Brinks truck and they came armed because they were coming into enemy territory. Right? Judea was a buffer state between the Persian and the Roman Empire. And these, these Persian people came with an army pack. That's why Jerusalem got scared when they showed up. They thought they was coming to take over. And they were, they were afraid. 
So get, get that picture of them three little camels out your head. <laughs> that's good for your Sunday school thing, but that's not, that's not the Bible. All right, verse 11. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary's mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely, warmed in a, divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child, his mother, and his mother by night, and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise man, was exceedingly angry and sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all the districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. All right. Now let's read Hebrews 11 and 23, Hebrews 11 and 23. By faith, Moses, when he was a child, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. Now let's look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And this actually tells you when it happened. And a man of the house of Levi went and took as wife a daughter of Levi, so the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. All right? So let's, let's, let's get a few keys out of this. Um, Jesus' parents protected him before he could protect himself. Moses' parents protected him before he could protect himself. Um, what if Joseph had overslept that night? What if any of y'all had dreams and impressions and then the Lord told you something and you knew you needed to get up and write it down, but you just turned over and went to bed and said, I'm going to remember that in the morning? Well, I'm the only one. See, y'all trying to, y'all fronting me. <laughs> okay. What if he hadn't instantaneously obeyed? You must deliver the deliverer that is born to deliver you. Moses' parents had to deliver him from Pharaoh so that he could rise up and deliver them from Pharaoh. Jesus' parents had to deliver him from Herod so that he could rise up and deliver them from Herod. All right? So there is in this early time frame something very, very important that we must, we must we must recognize that the enemy will rise up to destroy the destiny of godly seed. And so we have to be, as a, as a, as a people group, as a body of believers, we have to seek to be intentional about our godly seed and, and protecting them, being sensitive. I, I need you to pray through on this one. I need you not to get tired. I need you to be sensitive when you have young children and see things where the enemy is trying to, sometimes 
the enemy will try to traumatize. I've seen where the enemy has tried to traumatize children when they're young. So that they can carry that mark for the rest of their lives. All right? So we just want to be a people who understand it's listen, listen, listen. If you at work and God tell you stop, leave work, go to the school and see about your child now, don't ask questions. Don't be up there saying something told me and don't move. You hear me? You you want you want your children to know. Listen. <laughs> we used to tell our friends, listen. Y'all can do stuff we can't do because God talks to our mama. Y'all can get away with that. God going to tell her we going to be in trouble. And we believed it. And he proved it. I'm just saying. <laughs> see, see, now I tried to counterfeit it, but I couldn't counterfeit a prayer life. I don't know nothing. No, nah, my mama prayed, man. Even when I didn't want to say she was right, Lord, she was right. She, she telling me the showing up truth. I didn't want to tell her that, though. I was a teenager. I didn't want to tell her. All right? I just want us to, to, to develop a sensitivity that God is moving in the lives of our young people. Amen? Is this good teaching?